Hello everyone and welcome to Christ Fellowship Online. My name is Jeannie Rodriguez and I want to thank you so much for joining us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause the broadcast and fill out a connection card at cfmemory.org connect. This will help us connect with you and know how we can best serve you during this season. And now, a special message by Pastor Rick. Here's what God said. For unto us a child is born. By the way, when a prophet was going to state something that was so certain to happen, they would often state it as if it had just happened. And that's the way this reads. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful. Everybody say Wonderful. Yeah, Counselor. Everybody say Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Yeah, Prince of Peace. We love that. Well, you can grab a seat at all of our campuses today. And um, I want to set things up by asking one of my granddaughters, yeah, namely Autumn, to help me with the message today. So Autumn, come on out. Would you give her a word of encouragement, a hand of encouragement? She's a little bit nervous today. Now, if you've been at Christ Fellowship for a while, you know that I have been telling you about Autumn in my sermons since the day she came into the world. Since the day that she was born, in my sermons, I've been telling you from time to time about Autumn. In fact, in fact, I was thinking this week, I actually started telling you about Autumn before she was even born, before she even came into this world. And by that, I mean, when my daughter, Rebecca, her mom was pregnant with her, I started telling you that a child is going to be born. Now, I want you to follow me here, because early on in Rebecca's pregnancy, as you might imagine, we didn't know much about this baby. I mean, we didn't know whether we should expect a girl or a boy, a son or a daughter, a granddaughter. We didn't know if she'd be tall or short. We didn't know if she'd be beautiful. We didn't know because, obviously, we couldn't see inside her mother's tummy. So all I could tell you was, a child is going to be born. But folks, check this out. Thanks to the technology of ultrasound, yeah, we got a preview of Autumn before she even came into the world. Yeah, Rebecca had an ultrasound six months before she was born. You know what an ultrasound does, right? An ultrasound gives a preview of the child before the child is even born. Everybody say preview. Everybody say pre-view. Yeah, and so the first ultrasound revealed that Rebecca was expecting that a child was going to be born. But then she had another ultrasound, and that ultrasound revealed that this child, yeah, was going to be a little girl, was going to be a daughter. And here's what I love. Over time, Rebecca had more ultrasounds. 
And the more ultrasounds she had, the more we learned about this coming child. And the more we learned about this coming child, the more expectant we were, the more excited we got, and the more wonderful she became to us. And we couldn't wait for Autumn to get here. Would you give it up for Autumn? Thank you, baby, for helping me. Yeah. Now, let me turn a corner and bring all of that over to this series called Unto Us from the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9. Because, folks, what an image of Isaiah chapter 9. And by that, I mean just like the ultrasound gave us a preview of autumn before she even came into the world, before she was even born. Just like that, Isaiah 9 gave us a preview of Christ before he was even born. But folks, not months before he was born, this prophecy, this preview of Christ was given, check this out, 800 years before he even came into the world. Now, I want you to think about this because hundreds of years before Jesus was born in the manger as the babe of Bethlehem, hundreds of years before he got here, God began to give us what are called messianic prophecies. Everybody say messianic prophecy. It just means a prophecy about the coming of Christ. And these prophecies were like ultrasounds. Because they not only revealed that we were expecting, they not only revealed that a, that a Christ child was coming, but these prophecies began to reveal what this Christ child was going to be like before he even got here. For example, in some of these prophecies, and there's 331 of them in the Old Testament, but in some of them they revealed where he would be born, in Bethlehem. They revealed how he would be born, of a virgin. They revealed who his ancestors would be. He would be able to trace his lineage back through David all the way back to Abraham. Do you know that these, in one of these prophecies, it even revealed how he would look? Yeah, it revealed how attractive this child was going to be. So 331 prophecies, you know, revealing what the Christ child was going to be like when he got here. That first time. And they're all special. But folks, here's what makes Isaiah 9 extra special. Isaiah 9 not only gave us a preview of the first coming of Christ, but it also gives us a preview of the second coming of Christ. And folks, here's why that matters. In the mind of God, the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ are inextricably linked. In other words, in the mind of God, you cannot separate the first coming of Christ from the second coming of Christ. And here's why. Everything Jesus started at his first coming will be finished at his second coming. Everything that Jesus began to do at his first advent will be consummated at his second advent. Advent. Now, folks, with all of that in mind, from Isaiah chapter 9, we learn so much about Christ, both in terms of his first coming that first Christmas and in terms of his second coming, what I'm calling the second Christmas. 
And listen, the more we learn about his first coming and the more we learn about his second coming, the more wonderful he becomes to us. And that's my goal today. As we start into the Christmas season, and you know, it's Miami, it's the tropics, <laughs> and sometimes it might not feel like Christmas. I want to get you in the feeling of Christmas mood today. That's my goal, to get you to feel a sense of wonder about the first and the second coming of Christ. You with me? I want to get you in the Christmas mood. So with that in mind, you might be saying, Rick, what is it about the first coming and the second coming of Christ that can, that can instill a sense of, of wonder in our hearts? What can do that? We're going to find out today as we unpack part one of Isaiah chapter 9. I want to give you two thoughts today. How many of you have your listening guides at all of our campuses? Yeah, wave those in the air. Today, by the way, it's going to come across a lot more like, yeah, teaching then preaching, this is going to set the, the stage, if you will, for everything that's to come in the weeks to come. So I need you to put your thinking caps on. So with that in mind, here we go. Two big thoughts about the Christ child. Number one, the first coming of Christ, or I'm sorry, the first Christmas, Christ came as a what? As a son. I love that. He came as a son. Now with that in mind, listen again to verse 6. God says, for to us, a child is born, and then he says, to us, a what? A son is given. Now, stop there, folks. I love that. Because, again, 800 years before Jesus was ever born into this world, God gave the news to the world. And the news was, we're expecting. There is a child that is going to be born to us, that is going to be given to us. God gave us that promise, and then in the same breath, sort of like, an, like a divine OBGYN. Yeah, God pulls out the ultrasound, yeah, and says, oh, by the way, this child, he will be a what? He'll be a son. He'll be a boy. And by, by the way, don't miss this. He wouldn't just be any old son. He would not be an ordinary son. To the contrary, he would be an extraordinary son in every sense of the word. He would be a wonderful son in the most spectacular sense of that word. Why? Because this child would in fact be the son of the almighty God. Which is why right out of the chute, Isaiah says, we call him wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Again, listen to what Isaiah says. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And he, that is this son, the son of God, will call him what? Wonderful. wonderful. Now, by the way, the word wonderful there, it's a translation of the Hebrew word pele. I always tell you, your Old Testament was written in initially in Hebrew, translated to English, Spanish, French, whatever. But this word wonderful comes from the word pele. And pele means to possess the attribute of wonder. You own the attribute of wonder. That was the Son of God. But not only that, more than that maybe, it means to inspire a sense of wonder 
in others. It means to move people to a sense of awestruck wonder. In other words, there's something about the Son of God that moves people to wonder. I want to give you two thoughts that move us to wonder. Write them down as A and B. Here's a thought that moves us to wonder. The Son of God was what? He was born. He was born, and God tells us that up front. He says, for unto us a child is what? Is born. Now stop there, because what God was doing 800 years before Jesus ever got here, it was always like he's saying, my son is coming, but everybody hold it, hold it. He's not going to arrive in power and glory. He's not going to appear in majesty in the skies. To the contrary, when my son gets here, he's just going to be born like a helpless little child. Now, folks, I got to tell you, if I were God, it's a good thing I'm not God. But if I were God, I would not have sent my son as a helpless baby into the world. If I were God, I would have sent my son in all power and glory. If I were God, I would have sent him with the entourage of heaven and the armies of heaven and the angels and with weapons of mass destruction, you know, at his side. I would have sent him like that, but God said, no, 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 no. This child, my son, he will be born into the world. He will not arrive. He will not appear. He will be born, just like you and me, into the world. And folks, that's what we celebrate every December the 25th, isn't it? That he was born. Now, I can always set my clock by it, because around Christmas season, somebody will always say, we shouldn't celebrate his birthday on December the 25th. We don't know when he was born. We don't know, you don't know when he was born. You don't know that he was born on December the 25th. To which I always answer, it doesn't matter. Everybody say, it doesn't matter. Yeah, listen, I don't care. I don't care when he was born. I don't care if he was born on the 15th of July. I don't care if he was born in summer or winter or fall. I don't care when he was born. I just care that he was born. Because that means he started where you and where I started as a baby. He started right where we did. By the way, sometimes people will say to me, you know, we don't celebrate Christmas. It's become too commercialized. Listen, are you going to let the world commercialize in Christmas talk you out of having a birthday party for our Savior to celebrate that he was born? Are you kidding? And people will say to me, you ought not have lights. You ought not have Christmas trees. People worshiped Christmas trees. I have never seen anybody <laughs> worshiping a Christmas tree. But if that bothers you, get a cake. 
buy a cake, put some candles on it, sing happy birthday to Jesus because he was born into this world. He started just like you and I started, not arriving, not appearing. He was born as a helpless little baby like you and I were. And not only that, here's another wonderful thing. Write this down as B. He was born into your little world and into my little world. The Bible says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You say, meaning what? Meaning, he didn't just come into the world. He came into your little world and my little world, just like we did. And he, he was born a helpless baby, and he came into the world crying, just like you cried, just like I cried. You know, I, I don't care too much for that song, Away in the Manger. Maybe not the song, but that line that says, no crying he made. Are you kidding? As if he were somehow immunized from sorrow and from tears. He came into this world just like you and I did with little tears streaming down his face. Yes. And he, it was even worse than that. He came into this world with nowhere to lay his head. His mom didn't even have a place to birth him. She ended up in a barn. She ended up in a, surrounded by cows and oxen and donkeys and hay and dung from the animals. He was born in the trough where you put the animals. He was born on a hit list. He was born on a hit list. They wanted to kill him. And he had to be born in a, in a manger. Folks, could God, the Son of God who existed from eternity past, could he have humbled himself any more than to be born like you and me? He didn't arrive. He didn't appear in the skies. He was born just like you were, a little baby with tears in his eyes. And he had on a little skin suit like you did. He had a birthday suit. <laughs> he was born with a little, your little flesh suit. You say, why was he born with my little flesh suit? Here's why. Write this down as one and two. So he could feel what it's like to be you. So he could feel what it feels like to be you. Not only that, write this down as little number two. So he could be touched. So he could be touched by your feelings. The book of Hebrews says this, the Son of God was touched. Everybody say he was touched by my feelings. Everybody say my feelings, my infirmities. Folks, how wonderful could, he, could it have been? He put on your little skin suit so he could feel what it feels like to be you, so he can be touched by what you feel when you feel sad and sorrow and pain and suffering. The Bible says he was touched by it. He was not immunized from it. You see, before he was born, he had never felt the feelings that you feel. He had never felt those in the flesh. 
So when you, when you cried out, you know, Lord, I am so sad. He had never felt what it feels like to feel sad. He had never been a human being. When you cried out, God, I am so afraid, I'm so scared, he had never felt what it feels like to feel afraid. When you cried out, God, I am so tired, he had never felt what it feels like to feel tired. He had never been touched by that. The Bible says throughout all eternity, he never sleeps and he never slumbers. He never got fatigued, he never got tired, he was awake 24-7 365 days a year, forever, in eternity past, he had never felt what it feels like to be you until, until he was born. And then he felt it. And he was touched by it. He was moved by it. And I love it. The Bible goes on to say he grew up. Don't you like that? He grew up just like you. He was a teenager. We got any teenagers in here? You see your hands. We got any teenagers in here? Yeah, we got. How, how about middle schoolers? <laughs> Tough spot to be, and all of us adults said, Amen. "Amen." You know, he was a he was a teenager. He was in those early teens, and he felt what it feels like not to be in the group. He he felt what it feels like not to be the hot guy on campus. He felt what it feels like not to be the cutie pie, the the slim, the the in vogue. He felt all of that. Because listen to what Isaiah continues to say. Listen to this, Isaiah 53. He, he, he what? He He grew up just like you and me. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. And you remember I said the prophecy told us how attractive he would be? Here's how attractive he was. He had hot looks. He was good looking and the girls thought he was cute. No. (laughs) No. It says he had no beauty or majesty to what? Attract us to him. Listen, I have always taken great comfort in that passage right there. I look at some of my pastor friends and I say, God, why, why couldn't I look like that? But I get to say, you know, I'm a lot like Jesus. <laughs> I'm a lot, I take great comfort in that. But listen to what it goes on to say. It says, he was despised and what? Rejected. You've been rejected. He's been rejected by mankind. Listen, a man of sorrows. What? A title for the Son of God. He was a man of sorrows and familiar with what? Pain. You say meaning what? Meaning when your heart is breaking, when you are hurting on the inside, and when your world seems to be falling apart, and when all hell is coming against you, and when you are at your wit's end, and when you're popping pill after pill after pill, and when you're trying to die, and when nobody gets it, and nobody understands what you are going through, listen, it is then that we can turn to the one who is not only called wonderful, but who is called counselor. 
Because nobody gets you like he gets you. Nobody can understand you like he understands you. And nobody can love you like he loves you. Why? Because he designed you. And I'm talking about you individually. He designed you who you are. He knows the exact number of hairs who are, that are on your head. And I see some of you, that's not a trick. But anyway, yeah. yeah. But he knows exactly how you're made. He knows you like nobody knows you. And listen, he knows you like nobody knows you because he got into your skin. And he knows what it feels like to be you. You see, Christmas is about a God who loved you so much that he was willing to see the world from your side. Can I say that again? Christmas is all about a God who loved you so much that he was willing to see the world from your side. You see, if you really love someone, you can't just love them from your side. You know, often young couples argue and make the point from their side. Young couples do that. They want to make the point from their side. But I'm telling you, couples who stay together decade after decade after decade learn to see things from the other side. And that's exactly what the Son of God did. He was born into this world so he could see your world and experience your world. And be touched by your world from your side. Which makes him, write this down as little number three. He's your wonderful counselor. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful. And what's the next word? Counselor. Counselor. Ya'atz in the Hebrew. It means means one who, who counsels you, who guides you, who consults you, not from a distance, but side by side. In, in his presence, his presence is always there to guide you and to help you along the way. By the way, can I, can I just add a footnote here? Christmas time, for a lot of people, is not a time of joy. For a lot of people, it's a time of gloom. And who knows, maybe you're already feeling the gloom. Because for a lot of people, Christmas is like this. It's almost like, ah, Christmas season. Time to think back on the stupid stuff I did this year and beat myself up over it. Right? Time to think about all the failures I made this past year. Time to think about the bad cancer report that I got this year. Think get bad to think... Time to think about all the people I lost who've died that won't be with me anymore this Christmas. And you start into the Christmas season sort of gloomy. But Jesus is saying that's not what he wants. He is saying to you, joy to your world. That's what he wants to bring you. And why? Because he's the wonderful counselor who walks with you along the way. You see, here's what's so wonderful about Jesus. He was tender enough. He's powerful. But he was tender enough to... Be born into your world so that he could change your world into a joyful world. He was tender enough to be born into your world to help you change your world. But folks, don't miss this. And here's where I'm headed. 
He's tender, yeah. But he's also tough enough. He's also powerful enough to come back into the world and change the world and make it a joyful world. You say, wait, what, wait, what are you talking about? I'm talking about this. Isaiah chapter 9 not only gives us a preview of the first coming of Christ, but it also gives us a preview of the second coming of Christ. With that in mind, write this down as big number two. I've got to hurry here. The second Christmas, Christ will return as world what? Ruler. ruler. Everybody say world ruler. World. Everybody say world ruler. Heck, I love saying that. It just sounds good. Listen to verse 6 again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's the first Christmas, but watch this. And, what's the next word? The government will be on his shoulders. Now stop there. Because Isaiah chapter 9 not only gave us a preview of Christ's birth on this earth, but it also gives us a preview of his return to the earth in the same breath, as it were. And listen, the second time he comes back to the earth, here's what I love. He's not coming back as the baby of Bethlehem. He is not coming back as the carpenter of Nazareth. To the contrary, the next time he comes back to the earth, he's coming back as the king of kings, yeah, and the Lord of lords, and he is going to rule, and he is going to govern this earth forever. Listen to what it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. The Hebrew word there for be, it turns out to be, is shahim in the Hebrew. It literally means the government will rest on his shoulders. You see, this is so important. One of the things that Jesus is going to deal with when he comes back the next time is this whole government thing. Yeah, in fact, write it down so you don't forget it as A. He will fix the government thing. And everybody said, hallelujah, amen, yeah. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the, everybody say it with me, and the government, that is the government of the world will rest on his shoulders. You see, I don't even have to tell you this. Our world has a government problem, always has. And the problem with governments is they don't last. And the reason they don't last is because they're engineered and led by us, <laughs> by human beings. And none of them last, whether you go back, all the way back from Egypt to Babylon to Assyria to Rome, you name it, they're all temporal. None of them last forever. Now, folks, America is exceptional. But America will not be the exception to that. America, listen, I love America. No place like it on the face of the earth. I bleed red, white, and blue. I love America, but America will not last forever. 
It is a temporal country. We have a republic. We have a democracy. That's our form of government. And it's great. It's work, but it won't last. The seeds of collapse are built into it. In fact, I want to read you a quote from one of, our, one of the early forefathers of America back in the 1700s when the country was being founded, 1800s. His name was Alexander Teitler. Here's what he said. Listen to this. He said this about a democracy. A, quote, a democracy cannot exist as a permanent form of government. It can only exist until the voters discover that they can vote for themselves benefits from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates promising the most benefits from the public treasury with the result that a democracy always collapses over loose fiscal policy. It's built in. Listen to what he says. He goes on. The average age of the world's greatest civilizations has been 200 years. These nations have progressed through this sequence. From bondage to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith to courage. From courage to liberty. From liberty to abundance. From abundance to selfishness. From selfishness to apathy. From apathy to dependence. From dependence back into bondage. In other words, even in a democracy, there's built-in collapse. Why? Because people will inexorably, inevitably, in a democracy, they will eventually trade freedom for free stuff. Because we're humans. We're selfish. In other words, there'll come a point where we stop saying, what can I do for my country, JFK? And turn to saying, what can my country do for me? You see, the problem with all governments in all countries is they're populated by people like you and me. And we tend to be selfish, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Again, I love America. And I vote my conscience when it comes time to vote. But folks, I'm always amazed that we're headed into a political season, aren't we? I'm always amazed, and I expect this out of non-Christians, but I'm amazed at how Christians get all torqued out about politics, and they're fussing and fighting, and, you know, we got to do this and we got to do that, as if this country can last forever. Again, you vote. I vote. You should vote. But I'm just telling you, if your hope is in any country, you're setting yourself up to lose hope eventually, because none of them will last forever. I love what the writer of Hebrews said. We look, we look for a city. We look for a country whose builder and maker is not man, but whose builder and maker is God. That's the country we're looking for. And that's exactly what the Son of God will bring. Write this down as B. Christ will establish his kingdom in heaven. Where is he going to establish it? On the earth, this is a revelation for so many people. Listen, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's the first Christmas. In the same breath, God points to the second coming. And the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Watch verse 7. Of the greatness of his 
yeah, his government and peace, there will be, gosh, I love saying that, no end. He will reign on the David's throne and over, keyword, his kingdom. You say, what is the kingdom? The Bible always talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. What is the kingdom? I'm glad you asked. Because <laughs> Jesus answered it clearly for us in the Lord's Prayer. You'll never wonder what the kingdom is again. Here's what he said. The Lord's Prayer, say it with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Do you know you ought to pray every day? Thy kingdom come. And what will the kingdom be? He answers it. Thy will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. You want to know what the kingdom is? It is the kingdom of God on earth where God's will is going to be done on the earth just like it is in heaven. And let me tell you when that's going to happen. It's going to happen not at that first Christmas, but at the next Christmas, at the second coming, he will usher in his kingdom on the earth. And here's what I love about the kingdom. I've got to hurry. Write this down as one and two. His kingdom will last how long? Forever. Verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Say it with me, and forever. forever. Everybody lean in because God is all about forever. God is all about not you living 80, 90, maybe you make 100 years. God is all about you living a long time. You see, I'm amazed at how people today are trying to live longer. Don't you see that they're obsessed with living longer? You see it on TV, the ads, you can live longer. You can live longer. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to run. I'm going to live longer. Can I give you a revelation? You can live longer. You can. But you can't live long. You can live longer. You might make 80. You might make 90. You'll be 100. You won't even know where you are, maybe. you live longer. I'm getting practice for that day. <laughs> but God wants you to live forever. I want to give you a visual of this. Because your life and my life is like that frame on this film. This is how long you live, 80, 90, 100 years. You, you, live, a you live a film frame. <laughs> Imagine going to a movie and they put on the reel Sit back and enjoy the reel. And also you see a flash of one frame and they say, over, the end. And you're thinking, that's it? Listen, what an image of our lives. They're like a film frame. The Bible says we're like dust. We're like a flower that appears. We're like a, we're like a frame in a film. God doesn't want you to live a film frame. God wants you to live a film strip. He wants to give you everlasting life. Don't get so hung up on a hundred years. You've got billions and billions of years to live. Not in heaven like an angel floating around. You're coming back to the earth. 
to live on this earth. You'll have work, you'll have job, you'll have fun. There'll be sports. The Dolphins will win every game they play. There'll be Super Bowl champions, all of that. <laughs> Not the Dolphin part, but <laughs> you'll have a new body. He's coming back. Do you believe that? He's coming back. And write this down as two, and I'm going to close. His return will fill us with wonder. By the way, if you die and go to heaven, your body will be buried. Your spirit will go to heaven. But at the second coming of Christ, your spirit will come back, but you will be given a new body. On the way down, God will give you a new body, and you will be in that entourage. You will actually have a second coming to the earth yourself. So whether the second coming happens and you see it from earth or you're in it from heaven, it's going to fill us with awestruck wonder. You know, we sing that song, filled with wonder, awestruck wonder, at the mention of your name. We're going to sing that in a minute, so I'm just getting you warmed up. But I want to read from Revelation. The image of the second coming of Christ. Would you do this at all of our campuses, though? Would you take out your cell phone? Everybody at all of your campuses, take out your cell phone. And I want you to turn on your flashlights. We're going to worship. Yes. We're going to worship. And I'm going to ask all of our campuses to dim the lights. And I want to ask everybody to stand. Now, I want to give you permission to do something. Again, sometimes I see people, you know, when we're worshiping, they want to raise their hands. And I'll see people go. So I want to give you permission to lift your hands. So if you got your flashlight, you want to lift a Bible. Sometimes I lift my Bible. I, I like some in my hands. So, you know, if, you don't, if, you don't, if you're not comfortable with it, don't, don't worry about it. But if you'd like to, this is permission for everybody to do this. Now, with your hands lifted, let me read the second coming of Christ from Revelation 19. Listen to this. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. He's coming back to fight Satan. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. That's his own blood at Calvary. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven, that's us coming back with him. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treaded the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh this name written. Say it with me. King of kings. Lord of lords. As we sing, come on now, let's say it one more time. King of kings. Lord of Lords, let's sing it together.
If you want to take your next step as a believer, we want to hear about it. Let us know at cfmemi.org connect and filling out a connection card. We want to thank you so much for joining us. We love you and God bless.